0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to HubShot's episode 252. In this episode, we talk about HubSpot site trees and reporting on sales sequences and using conversation workflows to update service hub tickets, plus much, much more. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks and strategies for growing your sales, service, marketing, and operations results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm just dandy. And what a cracker of a week we've had, right? No no malarkey here. (laughs) (laughs) And listeners... Here's a funny story for you. We went to record on Mondays, which we usually do, and we got carried away in HubSpot Service Hub and Sales Hub and didn't record. And so today is now Wednesday that we're recording. But it was a great week of learning new things in the system and thinking about processes of how we operate our businesses and how we operate within our teams and with the people that we serve. So it was well worth it. On to our growth tour of the week, Craig. Solving a problem versus solving a need. Yeah, this was
1: uh, reminded to me over the weekend. I was chatting with Adam Downer, actually. had a really good chat. Uh, Shout out to Adam. And also later in the show, when we talk about uh, Shot 8, I'll mention him again. He loaded me to a really nice insight. But look, we were chatting about this whole solving a problem versus solving a need. And you know, as marketers, we're kind of like told, oh, look, you've got to solve a problem. What's the problem you're solving for the client? And of course, that's true, right? But I think you can go deeper because there's an endless number of problems and not Everyone, well think of yourself, do you solve every problem that you've got? No, you're choosy and you focus on the ones that you need. So the comment here is just to think about that with clients. One of the ways you can do this is listen out for language. So if they say they want to do something, then that's a clue. But if they need to do something, then that's an imperative. give you a very simple example, happens all the time. Ah, we really want to fix the design of our website. So that's a want you've actually heard them say we want to do it everyone wants to do it i want to i want to update our site all the time and i'm sure you do want with yours right versus look we really need to fix our hosting our site is always going offline that's a need so of the two which should you focus on hopefully it's obvious listeners but my point is here that's versus solving a problem versus solving a need we think we've got this problem we'd want to fix versus something we need to fix focus on that Choose wisely for your clients, for your business, your department, and be attentive to what you hear in the language people use.
0: And listeners, if you haven't already, you should sign up for the show notes because in there is a very cool, what do I call this, Craig?
1: Well, it's actually not at all helpful to the point, but it was funny. So it's a meme I put in That's
0: right. But you've got to see it. It is very funny. All right. onto our quick shots of the week. And here's a few little things that, that you would have noticed or will notice shortly. The SEO recommendations tool within HubSpot I can now check your scanned website pages for broken links. And it's got to be the URL on the same domain, not on someone else's domain, but especially useful to create a better experience for users on your site.
1: They're really pushing hard on this SEO tool, aren't they, Anne? And positioning it as a free piece, I think. That's right. I don't know what the longer-term plan is, but you know how Ahrefs... Oh, sorry, I keep saying Ahrefs. How Ahrefs Ahrefs have their free tier where it's basically a site auditor tool. And it's a way... It's a really good lead source to get people into the funnel, I guess. It's kind of like their website grader, but now on steroids as a lead... Generation source, isn't it? That's
0: right. And the second one is custom surveys are now in public beta. Especially great if you want to ask people a few more questions in surveys and not have to use other tools like SurveyMonkey. This is excellent. And this is available if you've got a Service Hub professional. It's so well worth doing that. And finally, on the quick shots is if you're interested in helping us or helping yourselves with a 28-day HubShot's marketing challenge for people that are using HubSpot Marketing Professional. This is a great way to launch your campaign in 28 days. And you get to work with Craig and myself over the 28 days starting every month at the start of the month. So if you are listening to this show whenever, if you go and sign up and register your interest, you'll be in in the next intake. Actually, worth saying or mentioning that this is just for marketing
1: professional because we've had a few people saying oh yeah look I'd really like to do it I'm I'm using sales professional I'm on the sales team so we don't actually have a, a sales challenge yet and but that's great keep the feedback coming and in future we'll look to have a sales focused cohort as well
0: all right onto HubSpot marketing feature of the week and like we said onto the website Yeah, the
1: side tree. When this was out in beta, I kind of went, hmm, yeah, ho-hum. I wasn't that excited about it. But I've started playing with it now. And this is so good. Wow, this is handy. I kind of wonder how I'd managed without it before.
0: So my question to you, Craig, is why is this important to people when we're looking at websites? Like, how does it provide value to people that have never used a website tree? All right. So
1: the,
0: the way that we're using it is really to manage,
1: I mean, if you've only got a couple of pages on your site, it's not really going to help you much. But if you've got 20, 30, 40 pages and there's a hierarchy in it, it can be hard to see that just from the listing. Whereas the site tree shows you this. We've got a uh, screenshot in the show notes. You can see how child pages fit. And so it's really good for looking at the navigation. You can also split out website pages versus landing pages. you can see either, or you can see both at the same time if you want. So one way you could use it is for looking at all your landing pages and the hierarchy they have. Oh, should they be nestled under a particular navigation area, things like that. But yeah, it's really about organizing or keeping your site organized. And some nice viewing filters. One of the things I like is you can hover over any of the pages or you can tick multiple and apply actions, but you can hover over and then there's actions that you can do very easily. So you can move things around, you can run tests. A lot of these you can do from the normal listing as well, but this is good because it shows hierarchically the list and then you can just kind of drill down and go, oh, hang on, that child page under there, we don't need that, we replace that. I'm just going to archive that one out or unpublish and archive, uh, get it out. So it's really good just for site hygiene.
0: That's right. So it's very visual, really makes you understand. And another thing you can do from there if you're using enterprise is you can assign users and partitioning to those pages accordingly. Actually, there's one
1: thing that you can't do on the normal listing you can do on the site tree, which is create a child page have you seen this yes so you might hover one down in and then you can create a site page it pops up a nice little dialogue when you're creating it pre-fills with the url of the current what's going to be your parent page to this new child page then you can quickly add in the child url to the end Uh, so that's just a little handy um, feature i like it
0: or making a cms hub better isn't it craig All right, onto our sales feature of the week. I just wanted to share this quote from a a customer of ours and a four-time City to Hobart race winner, Carl. And he said, uh, when we were talking about HubSpot, he said, when you're connected into HubSpot, you can dial in for the dollars. (laughs) Dial in for dollars. Because he's become really good at using the calling feature that we've talked about a few times and just utilizing the tasks and the dashboards really well to get through his workflow every day. And he loves it. So, I, I reckon a little shout out to Carl. Yeah, that's a nice one, Carl. I
1: reckon that's the new tagline for HubSpot. Forget this, grow better, malarkey. Dial in for dollars. <laughs> there we go.
0: All right. And so, we're going to talk about reporting on sequences. So, When we're talking about uh, sequences, you've previously had uh, overviews in the sequence, in sequences in the area within HubSpot, but not really had that on a dashboard. And so one of the things HubSpot did was they had a few, one or two reports that were available. As pre-done reports. But now with the new report builder, you can create custom reports to do with sales sequences. And so what we've done here with a customer of ours is create two reports to understand who has been enrolled in a sequence in the last seven days. So we've got a count of people that have gone into the different sequences and the person that enrolled them, so the salesperson. And the second one is the number of people that have replied to the sequences and again by the person who enrolled them the name of the sequence and the number of people that have replied now in this instance you would think that the reply was unique and what you'll find it isn't because when you click and have a look at those replies you can see multiple contacts in there with the same name so it can't tell you that it's unique it thinks it's unique but it's not and the way to combat that is to also add the field is the count of contacts in there and then you can understand well what's the unique count of contacts versus the replies and that's a really good metric to keep a tab on and you'll probably notice that if you're keeping that 7 day time frame and you're looking at people that were enrolled and people that were replied, they'd be pretty similar if you look at it row by row and a really good indication of how well things are performing and what's not performing well. And another good thing is if you have these on a the dashboard, you can automate the sharing of that weekly report to the sales team or the sales managers so you can keep on top of things without losing track. All right, onto our HubSpot service feature that we create Using a conversation workflow to, to close tickets.
1: As you mentioned in just as we were starting the show, this is what, one of the things we did on Monday night, Ian, when we, were, we should have been recording the show. We would just, we dived into um, some Service Hub stuff. And w- one of the things, so we have, we use Conversations Inbox a lot. We've got a few inboxes set up and they create tickets automatically for some of the inboxes. And then it can be easy to close out a conversation but leave the ticket open and so all we did is try is a simple workflow to catch that so if the conversation is marked as closed in that particular inbox then we just set the associated ticket to also be closed so it's probably the simplest conversation based workflow you can think of i just wanted to put it in the show uh, for any listeners that might not have been aware, it's that easy.
0: Correct. And I think this is also to do with hygiene, right? So making sure things are actioned within the system. And often I we have got questions about how do we manage this? If we're creating tickets, should we be responding uh, using the ticket functionality or emailing people? Or should we be having the conversation? And I think one of the things we discussed was we'll continue the conversation on the channel that we're having the conversation with the person and we'll manage the ticket on our end appropriately. And this is a great way to make sure that you close that loop and don't keep anything hanging around unnecessarily. All right, on to our app of the week, Craig. And this is about background sounds to focus. And it's an app that you use, right? And I'm about to start using. Yeah, I've used this for a while, actually. Um, it's just Brain
1: FM. Um I think it's pretty well known, but I'll... It's one of those apps that you can easily forget about, but I love it. And I've got a screenshot for just some of the things focus. I normally use the focus one. I don't use it for sleep or meditate, I have to say, but normally focus and I'll put in a 90 minute deep work thing and it just has sound and I play them through my home pods here in the office. So there's this nice surround sound with just kind of deep focus. Yeah, it is music, I guess. Couldn't be a combination of music in that. And it just really helps me to to concentrate and stay focused. So yeah,
0: let me know how you go. And so along with the app of the week, the product of the week is the Apple HomePod, isn't it, Craig? Oh,
1: thanks for recommending that. That's so good. The HomePods are so good.
0: That's right. The HomePod mini. So listeners, if you haven't experienced a HomePod mini and even had multiple HomePod minis, you can easily try one out. So I would encourage you, if you don't have it, to give it a test and try it out. All right. On to our marketing tip of the week, Craig, and about creating a test backlog. Yeah, this kind of follows on from our
1: test and measure episode last week and the need to be testing. And so it's pretty simple. And the recommendation we're working with clients now is just set up a testing backlog. And all it is, is a simple list or table. I mean, it can, you can do it in a Google Doc or a sheet, spreadsheet or anything, anything to get started uh, before you might move on to a bit more of a sophisticated tool for tracking and maybe a similar to a bug testing tool where you log everything and and more details but just start simple got a screenshot all you need to test is to track is the idea itself the assumption behind it whether it's a new test or you're retesting something the campaign details of where you're testing it so you can then go and go oh where do we test that and the results of course and then any comments and so this is really handy for meetings because we all have great ideas i'm probably worst culprit at this you know we'll be in a a strategy meeting going, oh you know what we should do we should test blah 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 and I might have a few ideas the response now is oh great let's put it on the testing backlog log all these things and then each month or whenever or each quarter here's the test we're actually going to test so you choose from them prioritize them and so this is great so I'll give you a good example you're in a meeting with the CEO and the CEO who thinks they know best he or she says you know what we should do we should target marketing managers on TikTok with our enterprise single sign-on guide, right? So now you can say, hey, great idea. We'll just put that on the testing backlog rather than spending time debating about whether it would work or not. And then someone else's opinion is, oh, that won't work because of this. And someone else thinks, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. And you end up running campaigns based on whoever the highest paid person in the room is, right? Here, you just put him on the testing backlog and the great thing is you also say look we'll let you know the results of that test once we have statistically confident results and so that's a great way to distinguish whether it was a good idea or not
0: and i think it's a great way to start craig from what uh, you've shared and the ability to now embed these documents onto a hubspot dashboard you could have that as a document that's embedded and is visible to everybody. So they know that there's a testing backlog and they can see what's on there. And then you can prioritize it appropriately. All right. On to our insight of the week and storytelling and relatability. And this is about Judith Love Cohen.
1: So if you know the story of Judith Love Cohen, then enjoy the following minute or two. If not, listen as I tell you about her. And then I want you to be aware of your response when we get to the end. So I think most people are aware of Apollo 13 space mission in 1970. It was, you know, the film with Tom Hanks in it. It's actually the original Houston We Have a Problem space mission. So basically what happened is they took off, they launched in two days into the mission, an oxygen tank fail. It actually caught fire and exploded. And so that knocked out a whole bunch of things. They had to abort their mission on the moon. So they went around the moon but their primary guidance system couldn't work or couldn't be used for various reasons. I have mentioned in the show notes, but... So what would they do to get back? Now, keep that in mind. Judith Love where does she come into it? So she was an aerospace engineer and she worked on a whole range of space projects, including the abort guidance system, which was used on the Apollo 13 mission. All right, so she was very hardworking. She was key part of that team that built it and the abort guidance system it's like a backup of a backup so it's the backup to the system that does the primary guidance and so when the primary guidance system couldn't be used this abort guidance system the AGS had to be used instead and so that's what happened on the Apollo 13 flight they had to use this AGS and it took over and it's actually how they got back to safely got the crew back to earth and so if you've seen the film you know they made it wouldn't have been a very good film with Tom Hanks if they didn't. But that was all because of the AGS, which she was a key part of. Now, if that's not remarkable enough, consider this. She was also a tenacious worker, very hardworking. So it, before it, even before the Apollo mission, the year before, she was actually heavily pregnant, and yet she was coming into work every day, NASA at the time, to work on particular com- modules. And on the day she gave birth, she'd actually come into work she was working on a final problem for a particular important module and so she went to hospital to give birth and even in hospital she'd taken printouts and she was working on it and she rang from the hospital her manager to say look I've fixed the problem and then she went on to go into labor and she gave birth so that's how incredible she is now here's the final part that day she gave birth and her baby was the actor Jack Black all right So that's a great story. It's all true. When I say, sometimes we say story, we think it's made up. No, that's actually a true story. It's amazing. She's an amazing person. She only passed away a couple of years ago. Amazing career. And she did things later in life, like children's books, which just go and research this amazing person afterwards. But here's the point and why I wanted to relate it, talk about. It's relatability. Because the thing is, as remarkable as her story is, I want you to think what was different when we mentioned that her she gave birth to Jack Black, and that's the thing because you need a hook or something to relate to. And typically, we feel we can relate to celebrities or actors or famous people. And so, when you think about this story, and perhaps you'll later, you know, I'll be at dinner sometime and you'll talk to it. You'll probably have the hook, or you'll hook it on Jack Black because you can relate to him. Oh yeah, we all know Jack Black, and so you relate to it. And so that's the point. The inside of the week storytelling and relatability. And so the final takeaway, of course, is you can tell a great story, but if the listener or the reader can't relate to it, then it won't get the impact that you wanted it to or that it actually deserves.
0: That's right. And it's a hook, right? That may- makes it stick. So yeah, very good point. And thanks
1: to Adam Downer, who I mentioned earlier, for just going through this with me and that insight. So thanks, Adam.
0: All right, onto to HubShot's throwback of the week. And believe it or not, Craig, a year ago, HubSpot was adding the new look CRM for homepages. And that's what we're all using currently. And I wanted to make sure that everybody knows that on the dashboard, and we came across this the other day, how do you make something the default view? And it's not readily, what do I say, apparent. visible apparent (laughs) so you need to make sure a it's pinned to that and b once you've pinned it and you can hover over that little arrow on the on that tab and then you can actually make it a default view and that's what you'll end up sitting on every time you go back to that and you can do that on contacts and on companies and and so on to make sure you see that
1: so you can do this on deals as well correct and then if you use table view in deals it's actually what will Default to exactly. in the listing.
0: All right. Resource of the week. And this was a highlight to one of our clients. And she was doing Excel for Marketers crash course on the HubSpot Academy. And so I just wanted to highlight that because she said it was really good. Now, we haven't done it. But based on client feedback, it's a, it's a great course to do, especially if you want to understand and utilize data that you might have outside and get a better understanding of how to utilize that within Excel. All right. On to our quote of the week, Craig.
1: I'll just remind you that the grass is greener where you water it. <laughs> you now, People are like, well, I don't even have to explain that to I, Ian. It's, Ian no. it's, it's self-explanatory. That's right?
0: right. Now, this is, we've got a few bonus links. There's a really great one which talks about the year in search in 2020 by Google. And it's a really interesting resource that's uh, split up by region. And what's interesting is when you're on that page, you will see the header with it looks like a play button for a video that image is actually all the same when you actually hit the video the video is actually customized to that region that the data is for and i And it was really interesting because I watched the Australian one first, had someone with an Australian accent, and then I went to the global one, which had somebody with a different accent, talking about the global search trends for for 2020. So well worth a look in understanding how Google have done this, and how they've laid out the page and get some really interesting insights into how 2020 went in terms of search. And the... The second one we've got is how Google cuts and ranks its result sets with magic signals. So have a read of that. I think you might find that quite interesting. All right. If you've enjoyed the show, we would love for you to share it with somebody that you know who uses HubSpot. And if you want to stay up to date with the latest things that are going on, please sign up to the show notes at hubshots.com. And we shall see you all next week. See you later, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of
1: HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and marketing resources, sign up at HubShots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.